Well, I want to ask you a, a very simple question. Have you ever been robbed? I remember as a kid in College Dale, same house my parents are in now, that in the middle of the night, maybe around 1, 2 o'clock in the morning, my parents woke up to the van starting up in the driveway. We used to park the van outside most of the time. It was very difficult for us to manage two cars in the garage. And so the, the van was there, and my dad woke up, and sure enough, Marilyn was there, and the, the van was, was running, and it was tearing out the back of the driveway. And so he jumped up in just his skivvies, ran down the stairs, ran outside, and there he found the van. <clears throat> we have a relatively straight, well, it is a straight driveway. It's not too far, maybe here to the back of the church doors or something. Uh, and there's a ditch right before it gets to the road. And they figured that if they were going to make it out of the driveway... They were just going to have to go for it. They went into the ditch, smacked a little brick thing around our mailbox that Dad made and put some bricks across the road. And when they got that far and got stuck, they just bailed and ran and left the van running in the middle of the night. And uh, <laughs> we got our van back, uh, but it made for a very exciting story. Of course, the question was, uh, how are they able to start up your van and get that far? Well, that was uh, when Dad, every night, would just leave the keys in the ignition. Anybody ever do that? I've never grown up really doing that. I know after that, we never did that. Uh, but they were going through the neighborhood and finding in vehicles what they could. And then when they saw, oh, there's keys in this one, they decided to, to make a go of it. In thinking back to Elizabeth and I, in terms of when we were robbed, there was a time when we were up at the seminary up in Michigan, and we were renting a house. And it was, I don't know, maybe a mile or so from the school, and I would bike my way to and from the seminary to save on gas money as a seminarian. And we happened to be on the phone as I was, I don't know if I was getting out of class or if I was in class. We were already on the phone, though, weren't we? We were already on the phone. We were talking, and Elizabeth said, these were the old school flip phones, you know, the tiny little ones. And she said, David, this is the weirdest thing, but uh, somebody just stole our weed eater out of our garage. And I said, ha, 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 no, really, they're on a bicycle. They just came right in, walked in, took the weed eater, and they left. And I said, well, which way did they go? <laughs> and she said, well, down this way. And, I, okay. and we're on the phone, and I'm on my pedal bike at this point, and I'm going, what street do you think they're on now? And I'm calling some, some friends of mine, get on your bike. Somebody on a bicycle has our weed eater. This is a big deal. And we ended up across 31 in another neighborhood by the lake there. And sure enough, we found the Weed Eater Bandit. You know, our garage looked something similar like this, except our Weed Eater was right by the garage door, and it was gone. And so I politely asked this young man, could I have my Weed Eater back? And, oh, this is my Weed Eater. I said, no, I don't think that it is. <laughs> and I kept pressing him until finally, uh, in his shame, he gave me my Weed Eater back, and I continued to use it from thereafter. I really don't know what he had in mind, if he was going to outrig his bicycle with the weed eater mower, as some people do, or this looked pretty creative to me, this young man. <laughs> but what does it feel like to be robbed? Is it a good feeling? No, it's not a good feeling at all. It's this idea that somebody knew that this was not theirs, but they took it anyway, maybe even on purpose. They just, they just snatched it. They just stole it. They just, and you know, if it's a smaller thing, in most states, between four, you know, less than four or $500, it's petty theft, right? It's just petty theft. I don't care if it's little stuff. If even you stole my pencil, I'm not happy. It was mine. And I don't have another one. And it was really sharp, too. The National Association for Shoplifting Prevention gives us some of these statistics. 
One in 11 people in our nation shoplift. Isn't that a little bit disturbing to you? Men and women shoplift equally, so don't point the finger at your spouse. 25% of shoplifters are kids, and 75% are adults, with half of all shoplifters saying they start in their teens. Well, that's nice. Many shop and buy in the same visit. Ah, there's the criminal mind. They will never catch you now. You bought something. And then only caught once in every 48 times that they steal. Are we paying tax on that, do you suppose? Are they having to hike up their prices to pay for the people that are taking stuff? And how does that make you feel? All warm and fuzzy inside? Oh, it's just petty theft. Uh, It adds up. Certainly. Oh, there's one more here. The habitual shoplifter steals 1.6 times a week. So how you steal 0.6 times in a week, I don't know, but you understand the averages. Exodus 20, verse 15 says very plainly, thou shalt not steal. I mean, it's one of the shortest commandments. Just don't do it. If it's not yours, don't take it. You know, you've heard of the five-finger discount, or I've heard people say, well, you know, that fruit is a lot cheaper in the vineyard after dark. Thou shalt not steal. The question I want to ask this morning is, is there stealing in the church? Ooh, this gets rather interesting. Malachi 3, verse 8, we read this already. Thank you, Desiree, for taking us through that scripture reading. Will a man rob God, yet you have robbed me? But you say, in probably a little bit of a whiny voice, in what way have we robbed you? And the response in tithes and offerings. We'll talk about offerings next time, but in tithes and offerings. I mean, you stop and think, if I were to tell you and inform you about all the various conquests and and that I went into our ABC and I just took this. It was full leather and it was kind of expensive, but I really wanted it, so I just took it. And then I went to the, the Apple store and I just took this iPad and I took this computer. I stole these shoes. I just went in with my clunkers and I walked out with these and what would you think of me? You'd say, now that's not right. That's not okay. Yet for some reason, people rob God all the time. And why is this okay? I mean, isn't that odd? We'll rob each other, and this is terrible, but we'll rob God and, well, he's such a loving God and a gracious God and a forgiving God. Therefore, I just take and I take, and I take. It's interesting, and sad, really, when you stop and think about it. Returning to faithful tithe. You know, it's interesting, on all of the bills, if you still deal with cash, what does it say? In God we trust. To return a faithful tithe is to simply say that very statement. God, I trust you with the other 90%, or what remains. I mean, by the time you give offering and some of those other things, it'll be less than that, but you're saying, God, I trust you. The question that we need to ask is, do we really trust God? And what does it say about us to say, well, God, I'll give you my heart. Just don't ask for my pocketbook, because that I'm keeping. And why do we use that word, returning? Well, everything we have comes from God. First Chronicles 29, 14. But who am I and who are my people? that we should be able to offer so willingly as this. For all things come from who? You, capital Y, come from God. And your own we have given you. Thank you, Rick, for that 
call to the offering, you know, making cookies. It's kind of like at Christmas time when your kids are little, sometimes you give them money to buy you a gift. Have you ever done that? It's kind of the same idea. You say, oh God, I'm going to give you back a little something. And he says, thank you. But it really was mine to begin with. All of it is mine. In fact, we have other passages that that deal with this. Deuteronomy 8.18 says, it is he, capital H, who gives you power to get wealth, by the way. He's the one that enables you with gifts and abilities and health and all these things that allow you, even the good idea that you patent came from him. It's all his. Psalm 50, verse 10, every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle upon a thousand hills. Haggai 2, verse 8, the silver is mine and the gold is mine. Psalm 104, 24, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your possessions. He owns it because he created it. All of it. Everything on this planet is his. That's this idea of stewardship. As the creator, he not only owns the orange grove, but he owns the orange tree, he owns the orange in the tree, he owns the juice in the orange, pretty much everything is his. This is a nice little poem I came across. It says, what do you owe? And it goes like this. What do you owe God, you ask? Suppose he sent you this bill, $100,000 for the sun upon the hill, 2000 for the little brook that runs along the way. 500 for the nighttime and 1,000 for the day. 600 for the little birds that trill and chirp and sing. 600 for the tiny flowers which tell us that it's spring. These are the bills which everyone of every clime forget. If God should charge you what you owe, you'd always be in debt. Isn't that clever? I thought that was a little interesting. But it's true. God owns everything. How far would you get without the sun? How long could you survive without air in your lungs, without water, without all of these things? Not very far at all. So this morning, I want to take a look. What is tithe? Well, tithe is a tenth, it says here. And concerning the tithe of the herd of the flocks, of whatever passes under the rod, the tenth one shall be holy to the Lord, it says, Leviticus 27. So as the flocks would come through, they'd have a stick or something to mark, and they would just simply count. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, hold on, ten. And they would count. Every ten, one goes to the Lord. Or maybe, more correctly, they'd say one and mark it, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. One, and we'll see that in a little bit. But the idea of it's a tenth, a tithe is a tenth. My brother would play tuba in a brass group, and one time they went to a, a church on Sunday, and the person calling for the offering there was, you know, God understands your situation, and so just return whatever tithe you're able. And you may start with 1% or 2% or 3%, but God understands, and so just return that. Well, honestly, the word tithe means what? Tenth. So unless you're returning a full tenth, it's not a tithe. You're paying thirds. Well, not even thirds. You're paying threes or something. And notice what it says. It is holy to who? Are you sure it doesn't say it's holy to the conference? Holy to the priest or holy to the pastor? No, it says it's holy to the Lord. Come back next week. We might unpack that a little bit more. Here's another one, Leviticus 27, 30. All the tithe is whose? The Lord's. It is 
holy unto the Lord. So the tithe is holy to the Lord, and I return it as a way of showing that everything is his. He's the owner, I'm the manager, and I'm just returning what was already his, a tenth, as a means for me to realize that I'm not in charge, he's in charge of my finances. That's why you pay rent each month, those of you that rent. That's why you pay a mortgage each month, those of you that are still paying for your house, so that you remember each and every month, this house really is not yours. You just own those few bricks over there. And you'll pay us every month, every month, every month. As a reminder, God is the owner, and I'm simply the manager. You know, it's similar language to this. Present your bodies, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, Romans 12, 1. So my body is also holy to the Lord. I take care of it because it's not mine. Again, this idea of stewardship. The verse comes to mind, I'm crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. Jesus Christ now lives in me. My body is holy to the Lord. It is his, he's the owner, and I'm simply the manager. Teresa and Pastor Hyman gave a remarkable testimony this morning to this very effect. And I wish more of you were here during our Sabbath school time before we divided up. But it was powerful how she was saying, you know, even my life is not my life, it's God's life. The life in my lungs is God's life. You need to share that again for a sermon. But anyway, how about this? The Sabbath. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. This is in reference to the manna, but the Sabbath is also holy to the Lord. The Sabbath is a way that I give one day out of every seven to remember that all my time ultimately is his. And to take that time and use it for myself, well, again, that's more or less stealing. And so we have these little reminders to help us to remember the Sabbath, to remember that our body is his, to remember that the tithe belongs to the Lord. Everything belongs to the Lord. Mark 8, 35, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. I mean, we sometimes call this the inversion of the gospel. Everything that you thought made sense gets turned upside down. If you want to make it in this world, you got to hang on to what you got. Jesus says, no, return. Faithful tithes and offerings. The world says, if, if you want to have the best kind of body and this and, and then eat all this stuff, well, you know, really, you just go back to the, the original diet. The world says, if you really want to find rest and joy and all, you got to work 24-7. God says, no, I want you to take 24 hours off each and every week and abide in me. The inversion of the gospel. So to where does God ask his people to bring the tithe? Well, Malachi 3.10 says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. So we bring it to the storehouse. We bring it to God's house, his temple, his church. In the Old Testament times, God's people brought 10% of their increase, including their crops and their animals, to the storehouse. Now, in the Adventist church, the local conference ultimately is the storehouse. Each month when you return tithe in this church, 100% of that goes directly to the local conference, and from there the gospel ministry is supported. And you say, why do we do that? Well, let's continue. For what was the tithe used in the Old Testament days? I've given the children of Levi, one of the tribes, all the tithes in Israel as an inheritance in return for the work which they performed, the work of the tabernacle of meeting. 
You see, the tribe of Levi, the priests, if you will, received no portion of land for crop growing and business operations. That was part of God's plan. While the other 11 tribes, they did. They had land and they worked the land. But the Levites worked full time taking care of the temple and ministering to God's people. That was God's plan. So God's plan was for the tithe to support the priests and their families. So some of you might be sitting there thinking, well, this sure seems like a self-serving sermon. The pastor needs more for his family. Well, I'm happy to tell you, when you return tithe in the Seventh-day Adventist church, like I said before, 100% of that goes and is collected by the Carolina Conference. And then they pay and support the pastors. And 100% of the tithe goes to support the work of those who spread the gospel. Pastors, Bible teachers, missionaries, those things. It's not to pay for a poor fund or an education fund or church expense or a church building, but use only to pay for those engaged in ministry. That's what we have here in Scripture. And you might say, well, why do we do it that way in the Adventist church? Why do we send it to the conference? Well, there's a couple really good reasons for that. One... Whether I pastor a small church where there might be 20 in attendance on Sabbath, I pastored that church, or whether I pastor this church, I get paid the same. Well, why is that a big deal? Well, for a couple things. What if I got a call to come to Hendersonville and I said, oh, let me pray about it. And they say, oh, and your salary will be. And I say, oh, okay, I may not need as long to pray about it. How about that? And then I go to that congregation of my small church and I say, guess what? It's God's will that I get paid four times more. I mean, go to Hendersonville. See, that would be a problem, wouldn't it? It also would be a problem if one of my biggest donors maybe had a a girlfriend or two on the side. But as a pastor, maybe I won't preach that sermon because after all, I want my kids to go to college. Do you see the conflict that would happen there? And in this system, there's no conflict. If my biggest giver walks, I still get the same. And that's a blessing in this church. I have the freedom to preach regardless of givers. Another question, isn't tithing part of the sanctuary system that was done away with? Sometimes you hear that question from time to time. Well, we can go before Moses. We can go before the Old Testament sanctuary, really. And we have Abraham, and he's paying tithe. And we see this. And he, in Genesis 14, 20, and he, Abraham, gave him, Melchizedek, a tithe of all. Melchizedek was the high priest of the most high God. And so Abraham here is returning tithe right here in Genesis 14. Another example, Jacob, Genesis chapter 28, again before Moses. It says, of all that you give me, I will surely give a what? Tenth, a tithe to you. You, capital Y, to the Lord. So both of these are examples well before Moses in the Old Testament sanctuary. We can go to the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 9, 14. It says, even so the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. We have it right there. But didn't Jesus abolish the plan of tithing? Sometimes you hear that from time to time. Well, here's a a circumstance where Jesus brought it up. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe, there it is, of mint and anise and cumin, I mean, they're getting really detailed here. They're not wanting to to skip on anything. But, you know, that was part of the thing, too. They would bring their fruits and all their, their increase. So they're paying tithe on all of these things. But it says they have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. 
These are the weightier matters. Therefore, throw out the tithe. I don't care about that anymore. And he abolished it. Is that what it says? These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. You're tithing. That's good. But don't forget about justice and mercy and faith. These are important. In fact, the weightier matters, Jesus said. But he didn't abolish it. It's something that we should continue to do. In fact, you can look throughout the, the New Testament. Nowhere does Paul or anyone else tell us to stop returning this tithe or 10%. Well, what if I cannot return tithe because there's nothing left at the end of the month? Do you ever feel that way? There's a lot more, mon- a lot more month at the end of the money or however that phrase goes. I never can get it right. Proverbs 3, 9, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the what? First fruits of all your increase. Maybe that's your problem. Maybe it's not the first fruits that you give to the Lord. You kind of give him the last fruits, the remainder, the leftovers. And when we do it that way and we go about tithing that way, what often is left over? Well, maybe next month. God's saying, no, I want you to honor me with your first fruits. Pay me first each month. So you get that, that paycheck in the mail And you see the amount, you just move that decimal one place over, you say, I'm going to return that because I want the blessing of the Lord on the rest of this month. What do you mean the blessing of the Lord? I don't know, I can't fully explain it, I just know that it works. I've seen it over and over and over, being raised in a pastor's family, being a pastor now myself, somehow the shoes just last longer, the cars drive with more miles on them, all these things. And that doesn't mean our cars don't break down, they do, that doesn't mean that we don't need to get new clothes, we do. But God always provides for us. And there's times. I can tell you this week, there have been times, I don't know how this is going to work. And then it works. Something comes in the mail. Something happens. Some break. And and it's like every time. And it's never in advance, but it's always right on time. That's the blessing of the Lord when you give him your first fruits. Because ultimately, our lives are not ours, they're his. Our bodies are not ours, they're his. Our time is not ours, but his. And our finances and our funds are not ours, they're his. And we simply manage, and to be a good manager, you try to be responsible, you try and make good decisions, you try and make sure the oil is is changed and things are maintained, you try and be careful with things. That's what a good manager does. But at the end of the day, when something dies or breaks or goes wrong, you probably have to go to the person above you and say, Hey, I'm, I, I hate to have to report this to you, but your, pr- your truck broke down or your van broke down or your, your house burned down or whatever it is. And the owner says, okay, I'll take care of it. We're simply managers. It really takes a lot of stress off if you have the faith. First fruits, and in the Old Testament, it was sheep. It was the wool that was shorn. It was the grain. It was the oil. It was the firstborn of all the anima- animals. The first fruits of your increase. Matthew six thirty three. seek first the kingdom of God. It doesn't say seek last with what remains of the leftovers of the day. It says seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Anything that you need, you'll be taken care of. Well, why is this such a big deal? Matthew 24, 14, in the gospel, the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations and then the end will come. Isn't that exciting? Don't you want to see this happen? And when we return tithes, and pastors, we do the same. We return tithe. But when we do this, we are allowing the gospel to be preached. We are paying people to preach the gospel. That doesn't mean that we don't have something to do. Total member involvement is still the case. 
All of us have a work to do, but God calls some to full-time ministry, and when we return tithe, we are supporting full-time ministry. Guess what? The more we have full-time ministers ministering, don't you think Jesus will come later or sooner? And the same could be said of the laity. The more involved we are as a laity, the sooner Jesus will come. So as we are faithful to him in these areas, the work will grow. How many Seventh-day Adventists return a faithful tithe? Well, this is a study that was not done in the Hendersonville church, so you can breathe a sigh of relief. I'm sure this doesn't represent us. But while most feel convinced that they should uh, return tithe, that is, only 40 to 60% actually do it. Isn't that too bad? And these are not just of the entire membership of the active, inactive. These are the active people coming to church regularly. I'm convinced I should do it, but half the time, I just probably won't this month. Now, in the Carolina conference, we have like 95 pastors. If half of our church members, and I'm sure Carolina is different, right? We wouldn't apply to this. But if half of our church members would return a faithful tithe, instead of 95 pastors, we could have close to 200 pastors. Wouldn't that be a blessing? I would hope so. Typically, people are more faithful in returning tithe as they age. Here's a graph on that. The back uh, darker one is the tithing potential you see there in the key at the bottom and then the actual is in front of it and so to the far left here we have the 20 to 29 year olds the 30 to 39 and the various brackets but in every single one and it, it gets a little bit better right but in all of these the potential does not match now again this is a personal thing between you and the lord i get that but shouldn't these be closer than that i think that they should and where we have the highest earnings and the highest potential, uh, maybe half. To me, that's troubling. What does God long to do? But we just have our grubbies on our stuff. And ultimately, we trust him with our lips, but we don't trust him with our means. Isn't that what that says? Here's another way of looking at it as far as time. In 1950, people, those graphs were a lot closer together, but look at what happens as the potential goes up and the actual tithe stays marginal. They start to separate as time goes on. As we become more, <clears throat> can I say, worldly, engrossed in the things of the world, all the stuff we have to have, I don't know, percentage of each age group that sometimes forgets to tithe. Interestingly, the older ones that always complain that they forget, don't forget as much. In this gospel, the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. When you put your tithe envelope in the offering plate, this is not paying dues. This is evangelism. Every single time. You're paying evangelism for the work to go forward. Patriarchs and Prophets 529 says, The work of the gospel, as it widens, requires greater provision to sustain it than was called for anciently. The idea is that we should be giving more, not less. Here's a quote from Review and Herald. Oh, must Christ, the majesty of heaven, the king of glory, bear the heavy cross and wear the thorny crown and drink the bitter cup. Are you imagining this? While we recline at ease... Glorify ourselves and forget the souls he died to redeem by his own precious blood. Here Jesus is spilling his blood. He's giving his all. And he's asking for us to return just 10%. Yet we're reclined in our easy chair, glorifying ourselves with no mind to those that are being lost. 
No, let us give while we have the power to give. Let us do while we have the strength to do. Let us work while it is day. Let us devote our time and our means to the service of God that we may have his approbation and receive his reward. That's the challenge. And it comes down to faith and trust. I realize it's not easy. When you're not sure where things are going to come from, when you're not sure how you're going to cover groceries for this week and and gas money for this week, I, I understand that that's a huge weight. But does it have to be? What if you give to God of your first fruits and you say, Lord, I don't know, but I'm placing it in your hands. What startling proposal does God make to help people who feel uncertain? Go to the book of Matthew and then just flip back a few pages and you'll be in Malachi chapter 3. And this is an incredible verse. We've read it, portions of it again already. We're going to read it one last time. I want you to look it up, though, in your own Bibles. Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me! Exclamation point. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even the whole nation. I mean, does anybody like to be cursed? I don't like to be cursed. And what does this mean? What does it say about God? That he's cursing people. Well, friends, when you push God away, you're cursed. There's no other way about it. If God is not on your side, if he is not giving you his full blessing, you're cursed. Right? How else can you say it? You are cursed with a curse for you have robbed me, even the whole nation. And then he says in verse 10, bring all the tithes. Don't just give me three or four percent. Bring all the tithes in the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this. The King James Version says, prove me. The NIV says, test me. You don't believe that I will bless you? Test me in this. Try me in this. Put your money where your mouth is. Test me in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the flood windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Well, I don't really want the full blessing of God. That might be overwhelming. So I'll just keep what's mine. I'll manage it myself. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. So he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. What does this mean? When somebody steals your weed eater, your wife will be on the phone and you'll be able to go get it back. I'm in the seminary. I don't have another hundred dollars. I'd be out there with my scissors all the way around the edge of my yard. The Lord says, no, 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 I'll take care of it. Don't worry. And much bigger things than that, too. Verse 12, And all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Ruth, I want you to come up here. Ruth Stewart has graciously volunteered to share, because we want this to be practical, right? And she shared a story with us just this last week at the church camp out. And I said, Ruth, would you be willing to share that? Again, so Ruth, give us a brief idea of this particular time in your life that we're talking about this morning. So about a year before this happened, the foundations of my world had crumbled. And because of that, it was necessary for me to relocate. And so my children were close to or at academy age. And so I decided to come to Hendersonville, North Carolina, and park myself near Fletcher Academy, I was going to be a single parent. I thought that would be the easiest way to do it. So I moved up here, and unfortunately, for the first nine months, 
I couldn't find work. And so I used every single resource I had to keep us going during those nine months. Um, and then eventually I found a job, but it paid less than $10 an hour. And even though that was 13 years ago, you know that $10 an hour 13 years ago didn't support a mother with two kids. <laughs> so yeah. that's, that's the situation I was in. So on a particular Friday, you found yourself short on cash. Explain that situation a little bit. So this Friday, I had run out of cash completely except for $100, and it was tithe money. It was, I'd had my grubby little fingers, like you said, <laughs> holding on to this tithe money, and it's all I had. And so that day, I was struggling because I felt convicted that I should put the tithe money in the plate that Sabbath, but it was like a war. It was a war in my soul because for me, it didn't matter. I could live in a van, but it was money for my children. You know, when you can't feed your kids, it, it reaches a whole new level. And so this struggle just started throughout the day. Sabbath was coming, and I was in turmoil because I only had this tithe money. You know how we are raised, God loves a cheerful giver? I started rationalizing that because I wasn't cheerful about this, he wouldn't bless it anyways if I put it in the plate, so there was no use of me putting it in the plate. That's very creative, yeah. <laughs> we do those things, don't we? We find all these loopholes. I jumped into that loop. <laughs> and so it just, you know, Satan just grasped a hold of my thinking on those lines. And I struggled all day. And that night it was Sabbath. And I wasn't at peace for Sabbath at all. And so we went to bed. And I was in bed. And I just, I said, I, I got to review the verses. Review the verses. And so I reviewed the verses. I did Malachi. I did, you know, just the verses we know. And I landed at Matthew 17. You all know this verse. It says, I say to you, this is Jesus speaking. If you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. So I've always read that verse as some sort of, this is a great faith. You have great faith. But that night, God spoke to me, and he said, it's okay if you have 99% doubt. I'm just asking for a mustard seed. He's, he was impressing me that I didn't have to have faith to move the mountain. He would move the mountain. I only needed that little mustard seed. Amen. So that was Friday night. Yeah. Church came. Yes. You drove to church, I as I understand it. You took the kids to their Sabbath school class, and you went back and sat in the car. Is that yes. right? Yes. Tell us I about that. I had an empty tithe envelope, and I had the tithe. And the 99% doubt was winning. It was almost at 100%. It just didn't make sense for me. It did not make sense for me to take the only cash we had. And so I sat in the car all through Sabbath school, and I just waged. There was a war just waging. Well, and you knew you could spend that, that money, right? You had a paycheck that was coming. One week later. I one week paid. later. So with this $100, what could you do with that? It would get us groceries and gas for the week. Groceries and gas. Mm -hmm. That's all you're asking for. That's all I needed. Not I new clothes, not new shoes, not any superfluous stuff. Groceries and gas, and gas, bare minimum. Yes. And so I sat in the car, and I just, I was fighting this. I was, like, fighting, and 
Eventually, I filled my name in on the tithe envelope, and it was time for church. I knew I had to go inside. The kids would be looking for me. And so I went inside, but I didn't seal the envelope. (laughs) And so (laughs) I was sitting in church, and all I was surrounded by people who knew and loved me. And I just want to say, we don't share enough. We keep our secrets too secret, don't we? Mm -hmm. I was surrounded by people who knew and loved me, and not a single person there that day knew what was going on. And so I sat in church, and I... um, they did all the opening things, and I'm just like, no, can't do it, no, can't do it. And the deacons were passing the plates, and I hadn't sealed the envelope. And so they finally were to the pew ahead of me, and finally I just sealed the envelope, and almost with anger, I dropped it in a plate, and I said, Lord, I am sorry, but I doubt I should do this. But here's my mustard seed. Hmm. Isn't that powerful? So you put it in the plate. You came prepared. That's good. <laughs> and you weren't really at peace about that decision. I was not. And then Monday rolled around. What happened on Monday? So I sort of felt defeated. And um, when Teresa gave her testimony this morning, it, it really spoke to my heart on how this happens to us because she mentioned about this period of time where during her health crisis where she felt that God was silent. And so all that weekend I felt defeated because I felt like, okay, I had successfully checked the box. I had done the thing that a good Seventh-day Adventist was raised to do. And that was going to be good in the books of heaven. But I personally felt that God had been so silent for so many years that he wasn't, nothing was going to happen. And now I had this whole week and I was going to have to figure out how to solve this crisis. And I actually got mad at myself that I'd given away the food money. And so Monday morning, I went to work, and I worked only about five minutes from home. And so I would go home on my lunch break. And so I went home and um, got in the mailbox. And you're going to think that I'm going to say something was in the mail and it had money in it. (laughs) But I took the mail in the house, and I opened up the mail, and there was a card in there. And what was on the front of the card was a mustard plant. And the words say, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, nothing will be impossible for you. And in the card was a check for $200, which was double what I put in the plate. And the first few words say, as you think about the story of the tiny mustard seed, remember Just a little faith is all we need. And I had gotten this from someone. Number one, they had no idea what was going on in my life. Number two, they had never sent me a card. It was a birthday card. My birthday was like a half a month away. And um, I actually dropped to my knees in my living room because I felt like I was holding a card that had been dropped from heaven. I felt like God had breathed the words back to me into this card. Who gets a card with a mustard plant on it? It was just, to this day, I have trouble holding it. It's just like (laughs) celestial. Yeah. Thank you, Ruth, so much for sharing. That's powerful. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be room in my house, food in my house. Test me in this and see if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessing upon you greater than you are able to receive it. And my hunch is that's what dropped you to that knee, to your knees, that 
Monday, when you got the card, was this idea, wow, not only did God provide for me physically with groceries and gas and maybe a little something else too, like you said, double, but talk about the rich spiritual blessing. God, you know my need. You know that I'm here. You know what I'm going through. You know how hard this was, but I had a mustard seed of faith, and then you blessed me abundantly. And so I would imagine, even to this day, that when you go through challenging times, and they still come, that you, you might pull out that card, and you might read it again, and you might say, okay, I'm going to do this anyway. And that's what God wants us to do. It's not about the money. God doesn't need our money. He's got everything already. It's what it symbolizes. He wants our hearts, doesn't he? He wants our hearts. And so that's our, my challenge for us today. Let's be faithful because God asked us to do it. Let's return what is rightfully his and let's receive the blessing that he wants for us to have. We can keep the $100 and we can miss out on the blessing we can go through life, we can try and figure things out, but God says, I have a better way. Just trust me. Our dearest Heavenly Father, Lord, we've been reminded again today the importance of returning what is rightfully yours. And Lord, there are some here this morning that I would imagine have been pricked by the Holy Spirit. And Lord, it's not so much a guilt thing, but an opportunity for us to turn, to do something different, and to allow you to richly bless us in ways that you've been longing to bless us for some time. Help us not to trust in our ingenuity, in our ability to work harder or longer. Help us to trust in you, the author and the finisher of our faith. Even if we just have that tiny mustard seed of faith, you will bless it. We thank you for the testimony that we've heard today and we ask you to help us this week in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.